We have been over the course of the last few weeks talking about family. And when you talk about family, there's often a segment of the church that gets left out of that discussion. And that is people who are single. And single people have feelings too, right? Some of you, you've got feelings too. I remember hearing the story of one lady who was, who was single. She'd been single all her life, never been married. And uh, she had some good friends in her church, but uh, really had never been married. And so uh, she died. And the one, they, people gathered for the funeral. And, they, and, and one person noted that all the pallbearers were women. They were all female with no men up there as pallbearers, which is kind of unusual because every, every service you go to seems like all the pallbearers are men. And so one of, the, one of the people that attended leaned over to someone who's a little bit closer to this lady and said, why is it that all the women are pallbearers? And she goes, oh, that's easy. She, she wrote down instructions for a funeral, and she said, they wouldn't take me out when I was alive. They're not taking me out when I'm dead. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've been single, and so talking from personal experience can be a bit of a challenge, but I do know uh, quite a number of people who are single, and they aren't necessarily all satisfied with their relationship status. All kinds of singleness. You can be young and single and not ready to get into a serious relationship, not ready to be married. Um, you may be a little older and single and maybe not happy with it, maybe happy with it. Um, maybe you're single, not out of choice. Maybe it's because of divorce or maybe it's because of a spouse passing away. There are all variety of sing- varieties of single people out there. And I think it, it, does us, it does us justice as a church to acknowledge that there are within our midst, a number of people who are single, some of whom are perfectly content with it and some of whom are not content with it whatsoever. And how do we manage that? How do we deal with it as a church family? CNN had a report on their website that was based on U.S. Census data, and I thought some of the things they brought out were interesting. First of all, they said that there are 96 million people in the United States who have no spouse That means that 43% of all Americans over the age of 18 are single. 43% of all Americans. That that was kind of surprising to me. Of those singles, 61% of them have never said, I do, never been married. 24% are divorced and 15% are widowed. An increasing number of these single Americans, more than 31 million, are living alone, according to the census. They make up about 27% of all the households, up from 17% in 1970. So that's a pretty big increase. About 46% of all households nationwide are maintained by a single person. That adds up to 52 million singles. Well, that's kind of interesting because they're based on the same U.S. Census data, which said that there are 96 million people in the United States who have no spouse and 52 million singles. Your U.S. government at work. 11.6 million single parents, mostly mothers, living with children. And more than half the unmarried Americans are women. This may be a downer for some of you single ladies out there. For every 100 single women, there are only 88 unmarried men available. And no, sharing is not an option. Can't do timeshare. 
But when you look at these statistics and how much singleness has increased in the United States, it is no wonder that there are over 1,000 dating services available. And you see them all the time on advertised on television. Now, there are a ton of reasons why people are single. Some of them are economic. Some of them have to do with putting career first and trying to advance. And so you're putting off marriage to a later age. You want to kind of achieve a little bit first. Um, others has to do with uh, bad experiences. Maybe you're putting off marriage because the marriage that you saw your parents had was really bad. And because of that, you say, I- I'm not sure that marriage is for me. If that's what marriage is all about, then I'm not sure I want to get involved in it. And for some of you, um, for some of you, it's just, uh, or for some people, it's a change of, we've talked about it, the views of marriage and the importance of marriage, that it's not quite as important as it once was. And so as we begin to think about the, this increase in singleness, the church has to address this. And so we're going to begin with some familiar ground. If you'll remember, we started uh, this series. One of the first verses we quoted was from the book of Genesis. And it says in Genesis 2.18, And it's not good for the man to be alone. This was God talking about Adam. And I think that we could extrapolate. I think it's a pretty good assumption that if it's not good for a man to be alone, it, it may not also be good for the woman to be alone. Now, you probably find a good number of singles who'd agree with that sentiment. They're not particularly fond of being alone. They may have gotten used to it, but sometimes it's still a little awkward. Many of your friends are married. When you go to church to try to find a group to fit into, it seems like so many of them are married and I'm not. And, and how, does that, how does that work in my life? How do, how do I fit in at church? How do I fit in at work? How do I fit in with friends? And it can cause some people who are single to ask the question, what is wrong with me? But I want to let you know the odds are pretty good. There's nothing really wrong with you. You're just single. Some of you have been single for a while. And then you really begin to ask the question, what's wrong with me? There's nothing wrong with you. I don't want to sugarcoat the issue because singleness for some is liberating and singleness for others is debilitating and humiliating. But if, you're, if you are single, then you need to know you're in some good company. Jesus was single. John the Baptist was single. The Apostle Paul was single. Mother Teresa was single. And a number of people who are sitting in this room today are single. They were unattached in their marital status, but they were attached very firmly to God and the mission that God had for their lives. And so what I'd like to do today is to share with you some of the, and again, don't want to sugarcoat this, but I want to share with you some of the benefits of being single because there are some. There are also some risks with being single. And so let's begin by taking a look at a couple of benefits of being single. And this comes straight out of Scripture. Number one, one of the benefits of being single is Uh, you have fewer responsibilities. It doesn't mean you are irresponsible. It means you have fewer responsibilities. And this is what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 7. Because of the present crisis and what Paul is talking about, the impending coming of Jesus Christ 
and the, uh, the issues that you're dealing with in the world, because of this present crisis, I think it's good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she's not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. What what is Paul saying here? Paul says when you get married, you bring on responsibilities. There are responsibilities for being married. If you're a married man, you're responsible for your wife. If you're a married wife, you're responsible for your husband. If you have children, you're responsible for the children. You're responsible to maintain the household. If you are unmarried, you don't have those responsibilities. You have a freedom that married people don't have. Now, I have actually never used these verses in pre-marriage counseling. But it, but it says those who marry will face many troubles. I got no amens from that. I don't understand. But you get it? Those who marry will face many troubles. Amen. Amen. You got, hey, uh, all right, now you're in trouble. There's one of them. You'll not only, you not only, he's not just talking about the trouble you'll face in marriage. And there's some of that because let's face it, men and women, we often say things and do things that have negative repercussions. We've talked about pushing each other's buttons and we've talked about that. But there's also the trouble, and what Paul is particularly talking about here is when you're called by God to do something, whether it's to give to something, whether it's to go somewhere, whether it is to engage in, in local ministry and missions, there is that sacrifice that family has to make in order for you to do that. Now, when I came, uh, when we started Grace Fellowship, I made it clear to the leadership, and I think I've made it clear to the church, that I had a family and had responsibilities to family first, and then came to church. So it was God, family, and then church. And there were times when I was going to have to say no to church things in order to say yes to family things. And, and that's okay. And you have been very, very generous in that. You allowed me to go to ball games. You allowed me to go to all, you know, cheerleading things. You allowed me to go to plays. You allowed me and the staff the freedom to do those things for us to be dads, for us to be family men. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. Because if not, if I've got to make the choice between my family and this, this grace, and grace fellowship, this mission... That, that I'm choosing my family. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. When you're married, you have to make choices. And you've got variables that an unmarried person doesn't have. And so there are fewer responsibilities. He goes on. There's also, because there are fewer responsibilities, there's a freedom to serve the Lord. Picking up in verse 32 of 1 Corinthians 7, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world. How can he please his wife? And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world. How can she please her husband? I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. These verses are the primary verses, for instance, that the Roman Catholic Church would use 
to have a celebrate priesthood that priests and monks and, and, uh, and nuns not getting married because what they're saying is we read these verses and it's better to be unmarried so that I can serve the Lord without devotion. Now, I think that bucket has a lot of holes in it, but I understand where they get the theology from. And if you look at that on purely practical level, there are some freedoms that we have when we're unmarried, when we're single, that we don't have when we're married. Now you go, okay, what do we do with this? Because I hear what you're saying, and I understand what you're saying, and I might even agree with what you're saying, but I still don't like it. There are some benefits, but there are also some risks. There's some risks when you're single. You need to understand those. The first risk is, is temptations. Temptations, of course, take a lot of forms. We can be tempted to a number of things. There are many desires within us that tend to draw us away from God's plan in our lives. But one of the greatest desires that we have is a desire for intimacy. That is closeness to a particular person. And that often expresses itself in sexual intimacy. Now, there's nothing wrong with sexual intimacy. God gave us the desire, that attraction, that, that he put it in us. It's when that's used outside his will for us that it becomes sin for us. But there's nothing wrong with having that desire as long as those desires don't control us. Paul wrote here in 1 Corinthians 7, backing up to verses 7 and 8, Now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Paul is being absolutely practical here. What he's saying is, listen, it'd be a really good thing if you were absolutely free from all these obligations. And if God called you to go to Timbuktu, you could just pack your bags and go, not have to worry about wife, not have to worry about husband, not have to worry about children, not have to worry about any of those things. It'd be great for you to just take off and go. When the opportunity arose, you said, okay, here I am. I'm going for it. But If that desire in you for that level of intimacy with another person is so great that you can't stand it, you're better off getting married than to burn with lust. You're better off getting married than to to use that desire for sexual intimacy in a way that's not honoring to God. Lust is one way. Giving in to a sexual relationship outside of marriage is another way. It's a very real danger. And that's why Paul mentions it particularly. It is one of the greatest dangers that single people face to be drawn into a sexually intimate relationship or to lust for, to long for that sexually intimate relationship in appropriate ways. And so I want to give you, these aren't in your notes, but if you're struggling with this, I want to give you just a few suggestions that might help you if this is an area of struggle for you. First of all, have an accountability partner with the permission to get in your face, to ask you the hard questions, the tough questions. Have that accountability partner. When I was at school in Chapel Hill, I was part of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And actually the head of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship was a guy named Jimmy Long. Jimmy Long knew a lot of the students on campus, and many of them chose him to be their accountability partner. And he, what he, you know, because they'd be dealing with the issue of sexual intimacy while they were college students and not married, and, and so they'd, be, they'd confess it to him and say, pray for me on this, help me with this. 
And Jimmy Long said he would walk through campus on Chapel Hill and he would literally see students jump in bushes when they saw him coming. Because what they'd done is they'd given, given him permission to ask them the hard questions and that's a question they weren't ready to answer. But find someone in your life who can be an accountability partner. This is true whether you're single or not. If there's something that you're struggling with in your life, if there's something that trips you up often, find an accountability partner who will pray for you and who will ask you the tough questions. Secondly, be careful what you do when no one is looking. Again, singles and marriage, doesn't really matter at this point. Be careful what you do when no one is looking. Integrity can best be defined as what you do when no one's looking. Who you are when no one is looking. And so be careful. And sometimes you need safeguards because I got to tell you, access to sexual material is far easier to get than it ever has been before. You don't have to go down to the local convenience store and, and, and get the magazines that are kept behind the counter. All you have to do is log on to your computer, your smartphone, and it's right there in front of you. So be careful what you do when no one's looking and put up those filters and those safeguards and those walls and those barriers that you need. Third, have a consistent daily quiet time with God. And that's another important safeguard. One of the reasons that Weight Watchers was so popular and worked so well for, for many years is that people had to get on a scale once a week. They'd go to their meetings and they'd get on a scale. Now, if you know you're getting on a scale... That may change whether you eat one Krispy Kreme donut or a dozen. If you know, hey, tomorrow I've got the way in. If you meet with God on a daily basis, I mean you really meet with him. I don't mean you just kind of, it was drive-by devotional, you know, just kind of throw in a couple of scriptures and then get out of there as quick as you can. But if you actually sit down and you're going to spend some time with God on a daily basis, it'll change some of the decisions you make because you're not going to want to drag that stuff along with you into your quiet time. And so just, again, just three simple suggestions if you're dealing with, with not only temptations in the form of lust and, 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 and wanting that sexual relationship outside of marriage, but um, anything that trips you up, those would be good things to do. A second risk, for, especially, that is, especially for single people, is, is loneliness. Solitude is good. Loneliness is not so good. Loneliness often leads to bad decisions personally and bad decisions relationally. There's some people who cannot stand to be alone, and they will enter into a bad relationship rather than have no relationship. Loneliness can lead to a warped sense of self-worth and even to depression. That question, what's wrong with me, is asked by single people a lot. My friends are married. I'm not married. What's wrong with me? And you begin to derive your worth from the relationships that you have with other people, especially that one-on-one relationship with that special person. What singles need is solid, accountable, deep relationships to fend that off. You need people. They may not be of the opposite sex. They may be of the same sex. You need a group, a place where you can connect, a place where you can belong. And they may not, some of them may be married, some of them may be single, some of them may be male, some of them may be female, but you need a group, a place to connect, a place to belong, 
a place where you can be loved for who you are and you don't have to pretend to be anybody else. They know you and they love you anyway and you can be honest about your hurts and honest about your struggles and it's not going to be overlooked and it's not going to be pushed aside and it's not going to be laughed at. A third risk is is that of self-centeredness. And I'm not saying that every single person is self-centered, but what I am saying is when you live alone long enough, your world kind of revolves around what you want and what you need and what you like and what you don't like. And when you do finally have someone who starts to enter into that world, it can kind of be an infringement on you. And you may resent that. And you become, it, it is about me. We have this issue at my house, sort of. We have a, uh, a, a black lab mix named Mia. Mia, when, when Jay's gone and Jackie's gone and Nancy and I kind of have the places we sit, Mia takes over the sofa. And she likes to lay her head up on one armrest or the other armrest. Well, because Nancy's footrest on her seat has broken and we're trying to get it fixed, because that's broken, Nancy shifted over onto the sofa, which also has the footrest deal pop up. Mia doesn't like it. At first, Nancy thought Mia was snuggling up to her, and she was liking this. Oh, the dog's coming over, laying, laying her head on my lap. Oh, this is, this is really sweet. I've always wanted a, the dog to snuggle up with me. What she didn't know is the dog was trying to get rid of her. The dog, will want, you're in my space. This is my domain. And that's what I'm saying here. Sometimes when you're single, you develop your domain. And it's hard for people to penetrate that because you've got things set up. You may not always like it, but you're used to it. In order to combat that, you need to find meaning outside yourself and loving God and loving others. Let me add another one that's not on your list, but you may want to write it down, and and this is jealousy. Uh, As I was going through the message this week, I realized that jealousy is also one of the risks with being single, that you look at your friends and they're married and you begin to become jealous and envious of their relationship, forgetting what you've got and wanting what they've got. So what can we say, not simply about those who are single, but what can we say to those who are single. First of all, to those who are living as single Christians. While you're single, use that freedom you have to serve God and serve others. You can serve in a way that sometimes married people cannot serve. You have a freedom that sometimes married people do not have. Secondly, use the time you have to pray, study God's word, and teach others. I'm not saying that your life is empty I'm just saying you don't have those people in your life that you're responsible to, so you you may get to choose a little more of how you use your time. Use that time wisely in prayer and in studying God's Word and even in teaching others. If you have a love for children, use that love for children. You can help by providing. and, And some people are single, but they love kids. They just love kids. Some people are single and they don't love kids. So if, you, if you're in the don't love kids category, this is probably not for you. But if you're in the love kids category, then what you can say is, let me make myself available to babysit for parents. Let them get out of the home. Let me make myself available in the nursery here at the, at the church to free somebody up to be a part of the worship service or whatever it is. 
If that's your gift, use it. And then embrace the family that God has provided for you in his church. God didn't leave you alone. He gave you a church. Embrace that family. Rely on that family. Lean into that family. How does the church need to respond to singles? First of all, we need to accept and appreciate those who are single by choice. You see, there's some people who are single and think there's something wrong with them because everybody in their church think there's, thinks there's something wrong with them too. We need to change our attitude towards singleness. Just because a person's married does not mean there's not married, doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with them, that they're somehow defective. And if you've got it in your mind, you need to go to God and say, God, would you change my mind about this? Just because this thing is working for me doesn't mean it's working for everybody else. God may have called them to something he hasn't called me to. God has given them a gift that he has not given to me, this ability to be single at this time. Secondly, church, show understanding towards those who are single by by the circumstance. In other words, because of divorce, because of death, because of a breakup of an engagement, whatever it might be, those, we, we need to be compassionate and we need to understand that maybe they're there, they didn't choose it. And they need friends and they need family. We need to understand that and come around them. And then finally, include singles in the life of the church. And this, is, this can be hard to do. Um, I, looked at, uh, I looked at one church's website and they had a class for singles Okay, this class for singles was made up of college students, newly divorced, and widows and widowers. I'm thinking, that's a big gamut right there. That's a, from college students on one end to widows and widowers on the other end. That's a huge gamut. Folks, not all singles are alike. They're different. And so find ways to include them. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in a singles group. Find ways to plug them in. In other words, what I've said here is that being single has advantages. It has disadvantages. It can be a blessing at times. It can be a curse at other times. But I want to wrap this up with some, some comments that, that are based in Scripture but also in reality. And some are just as true for those of us who are married as those of us who are single. And the first one is this. A Christian's contentment should be anchored in who they are in Christ. Who you are in Christ should be where you get your sense of worth, should be where you get your sense of contentment. Secondly, a Christian's worth should be defined by who they are in Christ. So contentment and worth should grow out of our relationship with Christ, not our relationship with someone else. Third, single or married, a Christian's ultimate devotion is to Jesus. That means as married couples, you make decisions based on following Jesus. As a single person, you make decisions based on following Jesus. Fourth, it's more important to be the right person than to find the right person. You always, you, you, know, you hear people say, I'm looking for Mr. Right. I'm looking for Miss Right. I'm looking for that right person well, what about being the right person? Being, that, may, may, that may end up that you're the Mr. or Miss Right for somebody else. 
And, and let, me, let me tell you this. If you are messed up, I mean, you're really a messed up person, and you're looking for Mr. Right or Miss Right, what do you think, what do you think Mr. and Miss Right are looking for? Mr. and Miss Wrong? No. Be the right person. It's just as important to be the right person as it is to find the right person. Fifth, being single does not mean you cannot have deep and meaningful relationships. You don't have to be alone. There are connections. There ought to be. And being content does not mean that a single person cannot pursue a suitable marriage partner if, that, if they believe that's God's will for them. In other words, what Paul said about being single is, hey, listen, if you can do it, it's a great thing to do. If you can handle it, it's a great thing to do, but it is not for everyone. And so it's okay not to be desperate, but to be open and to be searching for that person that God may want to put in your life if you believe that's what he wants for you. Now, as we come to the end of this, you go, wow, if I don't know you were talking about singles, I'd have done something else today. I'm married. This doesn't have anything to do with me. And I want to tell you, oh, yes, it does. If you're married, then you need to ask yourself, what am I doing? What am I doing to come alongside people in my life who are single? Not because they need to be pitied, but because they, like I, need to be part of a family. What am I doing? Do I have my antenna up for people who are single to make sure that they're included? Are they invited to my group or would they feel excluded in my group? Do I hang out with them or do I just hang out with people who are just like me? Now I understand we, we kind of gravitate towards people who are like us, but, but let's think about it. This morning we prayed together for the body of Christ. We prayed for people whose lives were different than ours and whose struggles were different than ours. We prayed for them because they belong to us and we belong to them. So whether you're single or you're married, whatever your status is, we're in this together. And we can never forget we're in this together. You are not here by accident. You're here because God brought you here. And many of you have made decisions. I want to be more than just an attender. I want to be a member of this expression of the body of Christ called Grace Fellowship. I want to be a member. I want to be part of it. But remember what Paul said. He said, listen, the eye can't say to the ear, I don't need you. The hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. We're together. We're the body. And we need to live like it and love like it.